This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. We got plenty of stuff to cram into the conversation between now and then at 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We got Chantel. We got Julian. They're producing the program tonight. You can get me on Twitter, too, at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. Hope everybody had themselves an outstanding weekend. The weather was awesome, was it not? It really and truly was. Thanks to everybody that listened along on Saturday. Had fun out at the uh, Jets Training Center. We did our show from there as the Jets were doing their uh, girls' high school flag football championship. Great event put on by them and Nike and Gatorade, everybody involved. And um, really a great opportunity for all those girls that had a chance to partake and make it all the way to the championship. Unfortunately, there could only be one winner, and that's what we had in New Jersey and the state of New York. So we had some fun there on Saturday. Um, But now we're back to business, and unfortunately we're back to reality. And that is the situation involving our two baseball teams because it wasn't a great weekend for either one. Right? Mets lose two out of three in Pittsburgh. I mean, at least they won one game. I mean, that's a step in the right direction, right? It's a start. And the Yankee bats went absolutely cold against the Boston Red Sox, and they also lose two out of three. So both of these teams right now, not exactly all guns a-blazing going into the Subway Series, which gets underway tomorrow, the Queens version of it. Tuesday and Wednesday at City Field. Remember, they're going to play in the Bronx late July for a couple of games at Yankee Stadium. But... You know, obviously there's built-in reasons, and we could sit here and make excuses about as to why. And generally speaking, though, the record in the play is going to speak for itself as to why this series has buzz or doesn't have any buzz. I was saying it over the weekend, before we even knew what was going to happen on Saturday and Sunday with these two teams. But the fact you don't have Aaron Judge, the fact that you don't have Pete Alonso, that takes a lot of buzz from this series, right? I, I mean, you're talking about the two big attractions, at least offensively, for both of these teams. Right, Judge, arguably the best player in the game. Alonzo, Mets best hitter, power threat, right? Home run derby champ, home run leader in Major League Baseball. All these things rolled into one. Now you're not going to have them. And for a Yankee team that is really, really struggling to score runs, and you can make the same exact case for the New York Mets right now, I, I mean, how are we going to go about playing these games? Like first one to three wins? Is that what we're looking at here over the next couple of nights at City Field? And look, I understand the games sell out. And it's Yankees-Mets, and there's going to be the bragging rights, and there's going to be the rivalries. But, look, I am way past the point. And this is just me. I am way past the point of getting geeked up for these games like I once did maybe at the advent of interleague play for the first couple of years. Right? And I understand it's not going anywhere. They're going to play each other each and every season. New, New age Major League Baseball. Everybody plays everybody. I get it. But I think I mentioned it maybe on Saturday. Ever since they met in the Subway Series in 2000, the real Subway Series, the World Series, right, which was won by the Yankees in five games. I mean, that that's it. That clinched the bragging rights. That clinched the bragging rights until they're going to meet in the World Series again. But, like, who cares who wins a regular season series now, right? Yan- Yan- Yankees have the bragging rights. More importantly, though, both of these teams treat these next two games just like any other game because they need wins, right? They need to get their season back on track, and the Mets more so than the Yankees, of course. You know, but the Yankees took on the Boston Red Sox. You know, they're arch rivals, and bats just weren't clicking. You know, what more can you say about this offense right now, or lack thereof? They miss Aaron Judge. You know, and it's no secret. I mean, this isn't just one or two games. I mean, Aaron Judge has missed how many games now this year already? Between 15 and 20 games? 
How efficient have the Yankees been offensively if Judge isn't in the lineup? I mean, it's as evident, it's as plain as day. They need this guy. It's scary to think about what the New York Yankees are potentially going to be long-term without Aaron Judge. And while we sit and wait for an update, and we have zero idea as to when he's going to be good and ready to get back into that lineup, in the meantime, you cross your fingers every time they take the field. Who are they scaring? Right? Like, what, what type of an offensive threat does this team pose without Aaron Judge? You know, I, rem- I, I know Yankee fans, they love, because this has been a new thing now. you got to point the finger at somebody, right? Now it's let's dump on Anthony Volpe. And he's gone into a slump here. I, I'm not going to kid you otherwise. Right? Boone hitting him ninth in the order. Guy can't get out of his own way. He's fighting it up there. It's as plain as day right now, and he's just not producing. Right? I mean, he made the final out. Two of the three games this weekend against the Boston Red Sox. Friday almost became the hero when he missed the game-winning home run by just a couple of feet, but it's not working for him right now. He's got three hits in the month of June. Three. That's not good enough. I mean, you want to make matters worse. You want to talk about guys that are slumping. I mean, go look at the rest of that lineup. Look at Anthony Rizzo. He's been even worse. And I understand he might not be 100% and maybe the – the neck is still bothering him or whatnot, but I, I, I mean, you almost weep for this guy. How bad of a slump that he's in right now. This guy's got like one hit, it feels like, in a month. So that's two spots in your lineup to where you're looking for anything right now and you're not getting it. You're just not getting it. And last night, you know, I, I, I got to be honest with you. And I know that this is all a computers thing. And it's the data, and it's the analytics, and that really has a huge hand as to who plays and who doesn't play. I, 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 I totally get all those things. But somebody explained to me, you don't have Aaron Judge in the lineup. You're looking for any sort of legitimate power threat that you can get. right? Somebody who, just by stepping into the batter's box, is at least going to keep the opposition honest a little bit, right, on their toes. Why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why? Is Giancarlo Stanton not in his lineup last night? Tell me why. Because he played the day before? Because he played the day before that? That too much to ask right now? I mean, I understand he's in a massive slump. I, I totally get it since coming off of the injured list. But if he's healthy, why isn't he playing? If he's not healthy, he should just be back on the IL. What are you paying this guy for? You know, like, these are the times, it's like when the Yankees went out and they acquired Stanton all those years ago, you say, oh, well, you know what? They got the Bash brothers. All right, Judge not in the lineup. Well, you have somebody else who should be just as capable. This is somebody who won an MVP, 59 home runs once upon a time. I know that was a long time ago, but it's these situations where he's supposed to provide some relief when others are struggling. Labor Torres doesn't know what day of the week it is, where he's playing, what the situation is, how many. I mean, his head is in the clouds right now. Yankees got a lot of problems. You know, the record is misleading to me. It's easy. You know, look, I understand that the Mets have dominated the headlines for the wrong reasons here over the last week, and we've been dumping on them, rightfully so. And they're playing losing baseball. But when you look at the Yankees, Just the eye test alone, do you mean to tell me that you're actually impressed with the way this team is actually going about their business? Like, does this team actually look like a capable challenger club to you? Not me. Like, I look at the standings right now, and I see the Yankees are nine games over 500. I I wonder how, with what they're trotting out there each and every day, and the rate of production they're getting each and every day from the guys in that lineup. Explain it to me, because I sure as hell can't. 
So what's going to end up happening here over the next couple of days in Queens is that one of these teams, you would think, maybe you'll stop the bleeding a little bit. And if it's the Yankees, well, that means that the Mets are just going to continue on their losing ways. And that's a train that is spinning off the tracks. Friday night was an embarrassment, right? Forget about what happened in Atlanta, those three games. It's bad enough you blow leads in all three of them, but the Braves are the Braves, right? The Braves are the standard. The Braves are the team to beat. They have been for how many years? But then they go to Pittsburgh Friday night and mail it in. That, that, that was an embarrassment for a major league team. The guys on that field in uniform in that lineup on Friday shouldn't even have accepted their paychecks. It was embarrassing. And so Buck Showalter has a closed-door meeting with the team after that embarrassment on Friday. They go out there on Saturday, and oh, they win a game. But that was it. That was it. I mean, you actually expected them to win two games in a row? Nah, they're not going to do Come on. They're playing the Pirates. They can't win two in a row. You think they could score more than one run against the mighty Buckos? Look, I, I get Mitch Keller has had a good season. He really and truly is. He's pitched better, actually, than his ERA indicates. You know, he's got like a 3-5 ERA. He's been better than that. He's been really, really, really good. Still no excuse. Still no excuse. So you lose two out of three of the Pirates after getting swept the three games in Atlanta. And now you're sitting there four games under 500. And remember a couple of weeks back, we were saying, hey, watch out for the people behind you. You know, what does it say on your mirror in your car? It says objects in the rear view are closer than they appear. Well, that was a situation in the National League East with the Philadelphia Phillies. Because guess what? The Phillies have caught the Mets and they've passed them. Right? This team is closer to last place and Washington than they are second place. Think about that for a second. The Mets are closer to last than they are second. And you know who's in second? The Marlins. A team who has like one-eighth of the Mets' payroll. One-eighth. They go out for team dinners. They all have to kind of like pass a hat around the table so they can afford it. But they're playing winning baseball. Marlins have about the same record as the Yankees do. And that's what Sandy Alcantara, who's the reigning Cy Young winner in the National League, pitching terribly this year for some God-knows reason. But they're still winning games and not making excuses. And it's got to the point, finally, where the owner came out of his castle, came out of his mansion, and spoke with Joel Sherman of the New York Post and gave his state of the affairs of this baseball team right now, this severely underperforming baseball team. A $400 million disappointment is what the New York Mets are right now. We'll talk about what he had to say and whether or not you agree with it. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. We'll also get into some football. Saquon Barkley spoke yesterday. We hear from Saquon, the holdout. Won't be at minicamp for the Giants next couple of days, but will he show up for real training camp? Will he show up for the season? We'll let you know what Saquon had to say about all that stuff. Remember, we're taking it until 8.30. We'll get into the NBA final stuff as well. Does it end tonight? Do the Heat have one more in them? Sounds like Tyler Hero's going to give it a go finally. Game number five. Will he really live up to his name and be the hero for the Heat and get this thing back to South Beach for a game number six, which would be on Thursday? 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. Dan Gross' show. We're rolling to late 30, an abbreviated version tonight that it's NBA Finals action right here on 98.7 ESPN.
Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Mets have Scherzer and Verlander going. Yanks are going to have Garrett Cole going in one of these games. So you figure, all right, well, that hopefully will get them off and running given the fact you got your race going, the guy that you have the utmost faith in, the guy who hopefully will stop the bleeding for you. Cole's going to pitch Wednesday against Verlander, Seve, and Scherzer tomorrow. But the two guys for the Mets, they haven't pitched to forget about their paycheck. They haven't pitched to the back of the baseball card. They haven't pitched like anybody in their wildest dreams would have ever thought they were capable of not pitching like, especially to this extent. And when their team needed them the absolute most in in, in games that you have to absolutely win, like against the Atlanta Braves this week, they both came up small. So now you set them up for the Subway Series. And could you just imagine if it backfires against this Yankee lineup? A Yankee lineup that over the last week couldn't hit me, for crying out loud. And if Scherzer and Verlander get lit up in that ballpark with that team, without Aaron Judge, uh, good luck as to what the summer is going to hold for this team. Really. Now, Steve Cohen, who we were asking for the last several days, like, is he paying attention? Is he watching this mess? What are his thoughts? Well, Joel Sherman of the Post got a hold of him. And wrote a long article over the weekend. And Steve gave, you know, he opened his mind. He let you know exactly what he thinks about this team. And the overall theme of the piece is, if you didn't get a chance to read it, Steve was essentially saying, you know what, I'm not going to push the panic button. Blowing this whole thing up is not the answer. That doesn't solve anything long term. You know, it gets the conversation going for about a day, right? Mets acted, Mets made a bold move, but it really doesn't fix the issue. So he's essentially saying, relax, you know, taking a page out of the Aaron Rodgers book. Talking about, you know, the mental errors are unfortunate. He referenced that as well, which there's been plenty. You saw that on Friday night. And that's really when you start to think that maybe the team is checking out a little bit. That maybe they're just not all there and there's a greater problem that needs to be addressed. And obviously, he talked a lot about the starting pitching. Starting pitching hasn't been good. It's taxing the bullpen. It's asking more out of his relievers. And that also is having a trickle-down effect. It's just the pitching stamp and hole as to why it's misfired so much. Well, that's great. It's great. Here's the problem, though. And I'm not saying on June the 12th that you go blow the whole thing up. It's not what I'm saying. But how do you know you're in a situation to where you do have to act? Like, what, what is that drop-dead date in his mind, right? It, it, or is there a date? 
Or is it just kind of something like, I keep referencing the eye test. The eye test is going to tell you when it's not working and it's not going to work. You know, you could talk about your front office and you could talk about Billy Epler and how you have all this confidence in him and blah, blah, blah. But guys, we know that Billy Epler's not going to be back next year with this team, right? Or he's not going to be the chief baseball decision maker. They're going to bring in somebody from the outside, whether that's David Stearns, whether that's uh, Theo Epstein, if they can pry him away from the commissioner's office where he's got that nice cushy job there. There's going to be a new chief baseball decision maker for the New York Mets next year, save for this team somehow, some way winning the World Series. That's the only way that's not going to happen. But when do you have to act, right? You know, one of the things I thought was interesting in that piece, too, is that Steve said, well, yeah, we have a high payroll. Yeah, we spend a lot of money. And that's only something we're going to do until we can replenish the farm system. All right. Well, how do you think you go about doing that? Hmm? These guys that you have on your team that are making tons of money, if they're underperforming, let's say, by the time August 1st rolls around in the trade deadline, are you going to go out there and sell? Is that how you think you're going to replenish your farm system? You're going to trade Max Scherzer someplace else to a contender and free up all that money and, and, and give you something of value in return? You're going to trade Justin Verlander? Is that going to happen? I, it's probably unlikely. But how do you go about replenishing that farm system? What do you think? You're just going to have these incredible drafts time and time and time again? All of a sudden, the scouts, the international scouts and the amateur circuit, they're going to find these diamonds in the rough over in Latin America, and, and, and they're going to come over, and, you're, and they're going to become future MVPs like the Atlanta Braves seem to produce with regularity? When, what's the timetable? That's what I would like to have answered. So, like, all of this spending... The farm system is lacking. When exactly is one going to catch up with the other? That's what I would like to know, right? But this is new to him. You know, don't reference the hedge fund in relation to the baseball team because they're not one and of the same. They're not. You might be in charge of both, but they don't operate the same way. doesn't work that way. Hedge fund stuff, he knows what the hell he's doing. That's why he's worth $20 billion. goes without saying. But as far as the baseball is concerned, how do we know that he knows what he's doing? This is new to him. He's only been doing this for a few years. What, well, because he made the playoffs once last year? They had one good season? One? How'd that work out? What did they do for an encore? They followed it up with this. This is crap. It's horrible. Let's hear from the manager of the Mets, who, you know what, I actually feel bad for, believe it or not. I sympathize with Buck Showalter. I really and truly do. And I've said repeatedly, even in the midst of this malaise, that this is not on him, that he's not the guy that you're going to make walk the plank because the Mets are underperforming, because the richest payroll in the history of baseball, the guys are not doing what they're paid to do. It doesn't fall on the manager. But anyway, here was Buck yesterday talking about their disappointing one-in-five road trip. Move forward, weld, take a day to hopefully uh, take a breath and get ready after to get after another good club. You know, we're not playing like uh, we think we're capable of. You know, all, you always have that concern, regardless of what time of the year it is. Or you know, I, I don't get into that how many games are left and all that other stuff. You, you know, you want it to, you, you want to be operating on all cylinders. We know that's a real challenge. But you still strive to get there. We just haven't, you know, we had a pretty well-pitched game for us today, and we didn't take advantage of it. You know, I'll be the first to give their guys credit. But, uh, you know, we got to solve those good guys, too. You got three hits. Right? You got three hits. You got three hits, and on Saturday, the game that you did win, if 
Brandon Nimmo doesn't make a spectacular catch in the outfield at the wall, maybe you lose that game too. And then you're coming home winless on your road trip. You know, and like, what, what's the goal over the next couple of days? Like, should we shouldn't be looking at these Yankee games and using them as a measuring stick. Yankees are not the Yankees right now. If Aaron Judge isn't in the lineup, they're not the Yankees. They just aren't. It's like, you know, going to beat the New England Patriots now and, and, and thumping your chest when, when, when Tom Brady's not there, right? It's not the same old, same old. Same thing with the Yankees. If they don't have Judge, it doesn't – I understand you want to win every game, but it's not like it's some grand accomplishment. I mean, this team just lost two out of three to the Boston Red Sox. You know what the Boston Red Sox are? Average. They're average. They're a 500 team. They just lost two out of three before that to the other colored Sox, the White Sox. You know what the White Sox are? They're a bad team. They're even worse than the Mets are. So we're going to be throwing a ticker tape parade if the Mets win both games against the Yankees? You know what? Forget about winning both games. How about you start with one? How about start with one? That would be an accomplishment. How about How about your two pitchers? that are making $43 million a year, 40 years of age, en route to the Hall of Fame, how about they actually go maybe pitch into the seventh inning for a change? Ease the burden on your bullpen a little bit. I mean, would that be too much to ask? You know, when, the, when they go over the scouting report, you know, Max Scherzer sits down tomorrow afternoon and he goes over the scouting report and he looks at this Yankee lineup. He sees Anthony Rizzo, who's gotten one hit in the last month. He looks at Anthony Volpe, who's gotten one hit in the last month. Giancarlo Stanton, who can't hit anything right now, right? What's the plan of attack? What's the, what, what's the game plan here? How do I shut down Willie Calhoun? Willie Calhoun's like the most dangerous hitter in the Yankee lineup right now. That's what you have to combat? Is it too much to ask to maybe pitch into the seventh inning? That's all I'm wondering. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll get your Subway Series calls when we return. And also, also, I don't know if you guys know this. Today is a very, very special day in Subway Series history. An anniversary of sorts. We'll tell you what that is when we return. Grasso Show till 8.30. It's a Monday right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. ESPN. Look at this. I'm just seeing this news now that um, 
Pat Sajak is leaving Wheel of Fortune following the 23-24 season. Whenever the hell the season ends. I didn't know Wheel of Fortune had a season. Like, does Wheel of Fortune have playoffs? You know, is that what they do? So I guess another year for Pat Sajak. 40 years. Wow. I guess it's time because, like, the only time I see Wheel of Fortune or Pat Sajak or anything in the news is when you see, like, one of these, like, viral moments where, like, Pat Sajak was, you know, either confrontational with a contestant or he, like, put his hands on a contestant. Like, all weird stuff. And when you see stuff like that, you start to think that, you know, maybe he's burned out a little bit. Can you imagine? Can you imagine for 40 years? And I understand, look, he's probably got a nice paycheck, lives in a real nice house, makes a ton of dough, all that stuff. But but it, it's got to be repetitive, right? For four, Like, if somebody asked you for 40 straight years if they could buy a vowel, don't you think you would probably go postal at some point or you would need to just step away and recharge the batteries, right? Or if they guess incorrectly to what the puzzle says, can I spin the wheel? I mean, that, that sound of that wheel spinning, I, I mean, he must wake up in the middle of the night and have nightmares. I think it's about time. So congrats on a great, great 40-year run for our pal uh, Pat Sajak. All right, so Pat's leaving after 40 years. Meantime... As we get ready for the Subway Series, today is June the 12th. On this date, in 2009, 14 years ago, and and when I saw today that it was 14 years ago, I was shocked because it doesn't feel like 14 years. It felt like it was four minutes ago. I could still remember it vividly. One of the most, I can't say if it is or not. I mean, it all depends on what side of the argument that you lie on. But certainly one of the most infamous moments in Subway Series history, took place on this date in 2009. Take a listen. And the 3-1. Popped up. Castillo. Dropped the ball! He dropped the ball! Here comes Teixeira! And the Yankees win! Oh, my goodness! He dropped the ball! What an ending! The Yankees win 9-8 in the most improbable fashion. Just like yesterday, right? That was 2009. Okay, those Mets weren't very good. That was kind of like, you know, you, you, you saw that group that had won the division in 2006. They were starting to peter out there. Remember, Willie Randolph was gone already, and this was the Jerry Manuel team, and you knew that they had no hope, and, and they were going nowhere fast, and ultimately they didn't, but... That was just, I mean, <laughs> as if you're a Met fan, that has got to be as, as low a low point. I could still remember exactly where I was. I was that night. It was a Friday night. It was the opener of, you know, whatever the weekend series of, in the Bronx. I was working at the time for 1010 wins doing sports. And I'm anchoring the sports that night. And I'm sitting there in the studio, little studio watching this whole thing unfold, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, game's almost over, game's over, great, so I can start getting my recap ready together. i got to worry about getting the post-game sound so I could use it for, you know, the sportscast for the rest of the night and so on and so forth, and that happens. And one of the other guys who was working there, Met fan, I'll never forget, comes into my little studio like a minute after the game goes final, and, and he looks me dead in the eye and he says, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I'll never forget that, you know, 
And, I, and it's one of those, like, again, so many moments you just, you, you laugh. You know, like, all I could do is, like, laugh at that moment. Because if you don't laugh, you cry. You make yourself crazy. And if you're a Yankee fan, like, you know, you thought it was the greatest thing in the world. It was like, ha, 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 you know, LOL Mets. That's what it was. Give to share a credit for busting it from first base with two outs. You never know what's going to happen. You never, that might happen one in a million times. But it happened that time. That was the one in a million. And he scored the winning run. Because he was running and hustling, which is all you're asked to do as a player. Too much for some players to do now, as a matter of fact. But that's what he did that night. And our buddy A-Rod, our buddy A-Rod, getting the game-winning knock in an extremely unconventional way. But, yeah. You know, we got to dig up a few more of those maybe by tomorrow because we're going to be on during the Subway Series games the next couple of nights. So, But, you know, there have been a lot of memorable, quirky Subway Series moments over the years since interleague play was brought back. I mean, since 97? So what is this? 26 years, for crying out loud. Got to sit there tomorrow and jot a few of them down. You know, think about some of those that stood out more than all the others. All right, let's get some phones here. 800-919-3776. Let's start it off with Danny in Long Island up next here on 9870 ESPN. Dan, how are you? Well, I was doing okay, but on behalf of all Mets fans world across the world, I'd like you to thank you for bringing that up. For a moment there, I was thinking of maybe just turning the car into a telephone pole and just putting myself out of my misery. Dan, like I said, up, if you can't laugh about it, you drive yourself crazy. It's funny because they actually get a visceral reaction to that. It wasn't just an ordinary loss. It was bases loaded. It was against the Yankees. If it happened at 11 o'clock at night at Seattle – we wouldn't be talking about it. But listen, in, uh, in honor of Pat Sajak, I'd like to solve the puzzle. And my guess is another disappointing Mets season. Is that the answer? Ding, ding, ding. Yes. That is correct. Right. That is correct. Dan, That's you correct. are the winner. Congratulations. I feel bad for Buck in the sense that in baseball, you got to interview 162 times after these games. And it's a simple game. There's really not as much to it. Like if you're talking to a football game, why do you go to a fourth and one? Why did you kick the field goal? Said, you know, and you got to stand there in front of the same people every night. I don't know what you can say at some point because you certainly can't say, "Hey, listen, guys, we stink." I didn't. This isn't the team I wanted. Talk to Epler. I mean, that would that, that would certainly make headlines, but I don't think you can get away with it. So the team stinks in its present constitution. There are much more exciting things to watch than the Mets these days. Uh, you could see a mascot get knocked out at, at the big court. Uh, you could watch a fight break out in the crease of a hockey game after I watch a goalie make. Two game-saving saves in the last second and a half of an NHL Stanley Cup game, which should go down in folklore as one of the most you know, impressive two seconds in history. But instead, I'm sitting there watching the Mets. This is what I have to do. There's just not enough. Life is short. If, if I told you the movie was going to stink, would you go? No. So until further notice, the Mets are a little further down the feeding chain. If there's anything else on, like C-SPAN or maybe National Geographic, I'll keep an eye on the Mets until they can give me a quality product worthy of my time. They're going down a little bit lower on the food chain. Matter of fact, tomorrow night, my wife, maybe I'll watch Dr. Paul Medicine Man, you know, and keep an eye on the game on my phone while I sit there and my wife watch a cow being birthed. You know what, the Medicine Man stuff, Dan, I'll tell you something, and I thank you for the call as always, bud. The Medicine Man is going to be a lot lot less stressful probably than the baseball game is. See, here's here's the tricky part about that, though. Like, you could say that the Mets, you know, bring all this stress upon your life and all these other things, and, you know, they're going to go further and further down the totem pole and the list of priorities and the things that I need to watch. But you know what? If this continues, pretty soon, we're going to be in July. 
we're going to be after the All-Star break. And what if the Mets are going to play themselves out of this thing here to where, like, then you're really not going to watch? Because, look, Met fans more so than Yankee fans over the last 25 years, they've had more Augusts to where you're not even watching because you know the season is over and they're not in contention. More often than not, with the exception of maybe like one year or two years, if that, I got to go back and think. Yankees are in it every year, at least to make the playoffs. Whether or not you think they actually have a legitimate shot to get to a championship and win a World Series, that's another thing. But there have been a lot of down years for the Mets in that time period to where you're just like, all right, wake me when football starts. And if things don't change soon, you know what? It might be one of those years again. And we never would have expected that happening given it's the richest payroll in the history of the damn sport. Jose is in Brooklyn. He is up next here on 98.7. Jose, good evening, my friend. How are you? Good evening, Mr. Graza, and do not worry because my plan throughout this summer is to bring up a couple of points, which is when one will be a miscellaneous sports topic, which will cover a New York team that's not a baseball team. Because, you know, I'm very concerned for people like you, Larry, and a few other of, you know, you guys. Because I could just see, here's the fandom just, you know, come out whenever you guys explode on the uh, on these Met games. And I, I do feel for you in, in some way. But um, as you guys, but as the Subway Series is ramping up, um, I do hope what you said, you know, speaks into existence, you know. Because I don't think that this Yankee lineup is so putrid, I don't think, you know. <laughs> I think this is the perfect, perfect time it's for the bad. Mets to, you know, it's bad. possibly get it, <laughs> you know, because this is because as a Yankee fan or my doom and gloom um, perspective, it it is the fact that this team, even though it has a decent record, like you said, the record is not really the the, the record is not really conducive of what's on the line. Of what's it's misleading. Be on the it's misleading. And yeah. And so there's been plenty of times where we come around this Subway Series from a Yankee fan, where you know this, Mr. Graza, where we have a misleading Yankee team going in against a struggling Met team, but the expectation is for the Yankees to pretty much clobber the Mets, and it usually ends up happening the other way around. So that's kind of where, you know, my negative feeling for this series is because of the fact that you guys have the advantage in the pitching and everything else. But if we somehow pull it off and everything, I do, I do, you know, want to apologize for, you know, my fandom ahead of time. Um, back to my NBA point real quickly, because I know I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, I do think that this series is going to be the closeout game for Denver. Mm-hmm. I, I I just think that this is Miami's last legs. And if we do see Tyler Hero, that really tells us that the other components that haven't been showing up for Miami pretty much didn't show up again for this well, game. Spol- and- By the way, Jose, Spolster, I just saw Spolster meeting the media. He, he has said that Tyler Hero is available for tonight's game. So Hero will be in uniform tonight. So that's going to be interesting to see. So we'll see. Hopefully everything, you know, I I want there to be more basketball because, you know, the more topics you guys have to talk about, you know, it'll be better. But, you know, we we all I I think it's going to be Denver and five, sadly, with this with this series, how it looks. Yeah, Jose, look, I agree with you. I I mean, I do. And I thank you for the call as always. I, I think it ends tonight, to be quite honest with you. I am selfishly hoping maybe we get another game out of it. You know, if we could stretch this thing to Thursday, right? Give us a couple of more days of ammo. But I'm good if it ends Thursday. 
You know, I, I, I don't need another game into the weekend. Like, I'm good going into the weekend, and I could flush the system of the NBA for the year. I'm good. I'm good. You know, give us one more, but I just don't think it's going to happen. This Denver team was the best home team in the sport all season long. They've lost one game at home since March, and that was the last game they played there against the Miami Heat in game two of the finals. Can you really see them losing two in a row at home and against the same team with the championship at stake? Look, Tyler Hero, say what you want. You're Miami. Your backs are against the wall. This is your season. There are no tomorrows. Whatever cliche you want to use, the guy can play. You play him. You got to play him. And as, Ho- excuse me, as Jose alluded to, I mean, let's face it, supporting cast, the role players, they've been too unreliable in this series. And that's why among the many reasons Miami finds themselves down three games to one. If you got Hero, who's a 20-point-a-game guy, guy who could shoot it from three, if he's even half of himself after missing as much time as he has, you might as well find out because there may not be a game tomorrow. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We'll get to your phone calls. Also, a little football. Saquon Barkley speaks. What does he and the Giants have in terms of seeing eye to eye? Is it getting any closer to maybe a new deal? for the upcoming season. We'll talk about that coming up next. Grasso Show till 8.30, right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage to the First Real Life Store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. N. You know, Saquon Barkley, we haven't heard much from him during this offseason. Really haven't heard anything. But Giants have minicamp, mandatory minicamp, Tuesday and Wednesday, out there in East Rutherford. Saquon's not going to be there, of course, because, you know, he hasn't signed his franchise tender, and we don't know if he's going to. Probably not going to with the rate things are going. But he had a little youth football camp yesterday, and media showed up, as you would expect, and so Saquon spoke. And just as a reminder, remember, July the 17th, that is the deadline for players that receive the franchise tag to be able to sign a long-term deal. So you still have a little more than a month. Saquon Barkley certainly knows that. But if he signs that franchise tag, it's going to pay him $10.1 million for the upcoming season. Not the worst thing in the world. Not chump change. You, I, anybody would love to have $10 million put in front of him. But Saquon thinks he's worth more. That's what the average rate is for the running back. Top five positions or top five guys in salary get paid. That's how they come up with the 10.1. Saquon feels he's worth more based on the season that he had last season. Who am I? Who am I to object? Now, reportedly, since dating back to last football season, he's turned down upwards of $12 million per year, $13 million per year in that neighborhood, feeling that he's worth a little bit more. Now, when the season starts again in the fall, Saquon's going to be 26 years of age, okay? 
He is 26 years of age, as a matter of fact, okay? Turned 26 during the offseason. What is the shelf life for a running back? It's not as much as some of these other positions. I think that we have come to know that. It is a lot different. I mean, you're 26 years old. Teams are starting to look at you, depending on how many years you've been in the NFL and depending on how many carries you've had and how many hits you've taken, they're looking at you as somebody who already might starting to be winding down in terms of your prime productive years. And that's just the reality of the situation. It is. I'll give you an example. All right. Let's look around the NFL for a second. Austin Eckler. You familiar with Austin Eckler and all of his exploits? Plays for the Chargers. Good player. He's one year older than Saquon Barkley. He had one year and $6 million left on his contract. He was unhappy. He wanted a raise. Chargers said, we'd rather not. So the Chargers gave him permission to go seek a trade to another team. You know what happened? No bites. No bites. You know why? Because even if he got traded, Eckler wouldn't be happy, and he still would want the new contract. So nobody touched him. Here's the difference, though. Despite being a year older than Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, you know how much in terms of production he gave the Chargers the last couple of years? He scored 38 combined touchdowns the last two seasons. 38. Rushing and receiving. You know how many Saquon Barkley had? 14. That's less than half. Now, look, I'm a big Saquon Barkley fan. I think he's important to the offense. He's the most important. Well, now it's Daniel Jones just because of economics. But he's extremely important to that offense. He's great in the locker room. He's a leader of the team. He's the face of the franchise. But everybody has a price. And everybody has a limit. And especially in this salary cap world where you can't just go about throwing money to whoever you want and for how much you want. You have to draw a line at the sand at some point. And that's the way the Giants are approaching this thing. All right, look around the league. The old expression, you know, read the room. Ezekiel Elliott, who's had a way more productive career than Saquon Barkley, cut by the Dallas Cowboys. Look at what happened to Dalvin Cook last week with the Minnesota Vikings. Dalvin Cook has been way more productive. I mean, like, not even close than Saquon Barkley. And durable, for that matter. Vikings cut him because no other team was going to trade for him. They could just sign him for a price that they feel is right on what they want to allocate. And look, the Giants are trying to do right by him. But you can't give in. You have to set limits here. 12 to $13 million in that range. I mean, that's fair for a running back. Here's the question that I would have to Giant fans right now. And maybe even to the Giants themselves. And I think I know what the answer is, but I want to hear it. Knowing everything that you know, all things being equal, if the draft were next month for the NFL and you had to do it over again and Saquon Barkley was in this draft, would you draft him second overall like Dave Gettleman did back in 2018? Would you or wouldn't you? Okay. So if you answered the way I expect you to answer, that's why you can't give him a blank check. And it's a crappy place to be in because he's coming off of a great season, arguably his best season, right? Arguably the best season. He's even better than his rookie season. Helped the team get to the playoffs. 
So it's a crappy time to peak and then want to get compensated for it because the economic realities in the NFL for that position are what they are. And, you know, he's talking about I don't even say that he's talking about it. The question was posed to him, and he, so he's got to give an answer. But if he thinks sitting out the year is going to benefit him, really? You want to go down that road? How'd that work out for our buddy Le'Veon Bell once upon a time? How did sitting out the year work out for Le'Veon? Was he ever a shell of the same player again at the running back position? No. And, and, and I've already given you examples as to how the NFL views running backs who are, you know, 27, 28 years old. So imagine Saquon doesn't play, sits out the year, and then enters the market again next offseason. How do you think the league is going to feel about a running back who's one year closer to the end? Right? It's just fact, guys. It's just fact. And he wants what's fair. Okay, fine. Everybody wants what's fair. But what about the previous two years prior to 2022? Does that factor into the negotiations at all? Because that's what I would say if I was Joe Shane and the Giants. It's like, all right, man, you want to get rewarded for what you did last season, but what about the two seasons that preceded that where you were hurt and you really didn't produce? Did Saquon Barkley go back to the Giants and offer to give the money back that he was getting paid while he was rehabbing, while he wasn't producing, right? Churning out, you know, three yards of carry and that sort of thing as the Giants were a laughing stock. Did Saquon walk into the office of, you know, John Marin and say, hey, John, take this money back. You know what? I'm not producing like the second overall pick in the draft. I'm sorry, man, but I just want to do what's right. Like hell he did that. Of course not. Nobody would. So that's my point. You have to look at this thing big picture. You can't let your heart factor into negotiating. You're running a business. You're running a team. And sometimes difficult decisions are to be made. And that's exactly what's happening with Saquon, and that's why it's being dragged out as long as it has. And I don't know how much longer it's going to go. I really and truly don't. But let us hear from the giant running back on where things stand with contract negotiations. I really don't know how we'll, how we'll classify that. My mindset is right now is everything's going to take care of itself. So I'm just going out there. And AZ, training, working, taking it day by day. AZ being Arizona, that's where he does the training. It's hot out there. You know, you sweat a little bit, burn the calories, whole nine yards. What about the uh, reports and the stories about him being greedy? What do you say to that, Saquon? Yeah, it's misleading for sure. I think I've came out and said that I want to be a giant for life. I came out and said that I'm not trying to reset the running back market. So, you know, for those reports to come out and try to make me look like um, greedy or whatever, that's not even close to being the truth but it is what it is resetting the running back market he's referring to the christian mccaffrey aav christian mccaffrey gets the most per year for a running back remember that was a mistake that carolina made that's the contract that carolina signed not the one that san francisco gave him san francisco traded for him but carolina made that mistake and i'm sure that they would like to do over on that one that's why part of the reason he's no longer on the team because he couldn't stay on the field giants don't want to have to go down that road to where they do something stupid, and then let's just say Saquon can't stay on the field and the Giants are left with no choice but to cut the guy or move past him. Lastly, he also made it clear that this is still where he wants to be. I feel like there's been some things out there that's been misleading. Obviously, the, the sources or the, the stories that have been out there. But I've been public. I came out public. I've been open about it. I said I want to be a giant for life. This is where I want to be. And at the end of the day, it's all about respectable. It's all about respect. And 
that's that's really what it is. It's all about respect, sure, but again, look at it from the Giants' standpoint, right? They're running a business. They're not going to cripple the cap and do something stupid because you had yourself a great year. And I like Saquon. I think the Giants are better with him on this team, hands down. But you have to do the best deal for the club, not just the player. And I'm not in his shoes. But if those numbers are accurate, what is being reported and what is being portrayed, 12, 13 million, I mean, come on, really? Look at Austin Eckler. I just told you, Austin Eckler has outproduced Saquon double, triple over the last couple of years. And Austin Eckler is getting paid chump change. Less than half of what Saquon is even turning down. Come back to us. And I understand, look, this is also probably going to be his last opportunity at getting a big contract. That doesn't mean the Giants have to play along. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We'll close it out on the phones with you and a little NBA Finals talk before we head to Denver for game number five at the bottom of the hour. Dan Grasso Show here on 98.7 ESPN.